gentleman, Mr. Travis Croft. How are you, sir? I'm fine and dandy, and you are correct. I am an athlete. He, is, the, uh, he has the certification, ladies and gentlemen. I have the uh, silver prize from 1990 that my PE teacher gave me for, mm-hmm. for running for, and walking for 12 minutes. That actually affirms that to be the un, uh, unimpeachable truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And I would challenge you to tell mm-hmm. Mr. Burke that he's wrong because um, <laughs> <laughs> he's probably dead. Um, <laughs> so let me just have people just pulling out Ouija boards. <laughs> I was going to say like, he was a very fine teacher. He used to sometimes fill in for our music teacher when the mm. music teacher wasn't in um, and the PE teacher would take music class. And his idea of music class was to play tapes out of his car and teach us how to play poker. I love how... PE teachers are sort of like, oh shit, so and so teacher has uh, disappeared. Let's just move Trevor <laughs> over there. My my PE teacher or my substitute PE teacher was so often my French teacher at the same time. It, he couldn't speak French, literally nothing. <laughs> you I don't like, know why. You just watch like three colors blue and go fuck off. No, we didn't even do that. He, I remember one episode very vehemently it was i had cracked my skull open at at school and no one had told me that it was bleeding or had swollen up (laughs) and then he showed me a he showed me in a little hand mirror that he got from one of the girls i was like oh shit my i looked like kind of an extra from braveheart or something with just this dry congealed blood down my face that i couldn't feel and he just looked at me and said oh that's all right that sort of shit happens to rugby players all the time we can just pop it back in it's like what? And he's like, no, hold still, I'll punch it in. Like, what? He's like, yeah, I'll just punch it back in. Mm. That's an interesting choice. No, let's let's not. Let's let's just not. And everyone started going, do it, do it. It's like, no, you fucking idiots. I'm not gonna have a brain hemorrhage just for fun. I'm just I'm just picturing a PE teacher in 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 teaching French to be bonjour, you cheese eating sir and the monkeys. <laughs> Bone jaw. All right, that's enough of that bollocks. <laughs> uh, anyway, yes, that's enough of the. Speaking uh, of boots, into the teaching profession, it's a fine job, and <laughs> uh, we're we're more um, attacking uh, particularly the English substitute PE teachers here. <laughs> well, I mean, I, yeah, I used to say like I would never have learned how to play poker otherwise, and you know, you what go. a valuable life skill that is to know how to gamble correctly. Oh hell yeah. <laughs> There's money in it. Uh, I mean, he, I, I think I think my PE teacher understood his audience and where we were coming from. We were going to spend a lot of time in pokey venues over the over the course of our lives <laughs> if we ever wanted to make anything of ourselves, right? Um, mm-hmm. He was uh, anyway. That's um, <laughs> was that I, I? He was um, he had very questionable taste in music as well. I should note. Um, What's on the show this week? We've got a uh, next Shane movie this week. Right? Yes. So following on from last week's Black Klansman, um, which was uh, the the fantastic Spike Lee movie, which was produced by Jordan Peele, the name that everyone is very aware of now, considering his generally successful comedy career and particularly his two big movies that he came swinging out of, got critical and financial success. First up was uh, Get Out, and um, we decided to go with his sophomore effort, Us. Um, Um, I mean, I've got to confess, I'm going to give 
two late entries that I wasn't able to tell you about this afternoon. Mm. So um, I've been able to catch the uh, first couple episodes of The Undoing, on, uh, which is the new um, okay. HBO uh, effort. Oh, is that the one with uh, Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant? Huge, huge Grunt and directed yeah. by David E. Kelly. Um, so that's just come out this week, so we can mm-hmm. talk about that. And I'd also like to quickly uh, mention a... A new game I've played this week. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Cool. <laughs> Lovely. I have added those to the little roster. But we will get straight into our chain movie of the week, which is us. Let's do this right, shall we? We'll start off with the IMDb approved. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Hang yeah. on. Yeah, we, we're yeah. not just going to start talking about no. it. And remember, five no. minutes later, there are yeah. people out there who don't know what the fuck we're talking about. I know. Ah, oh, new levels of professionalism. You've here, changed, like, man. You've changed. Sleep depravity has changed me in unusual ways. Now it's all about you. <laughs> Okay, so there are actually three approved plot options on um, IMDb. Do you want short, medium, or long, Travis? You can pick. All right, we'll go with a short because there shouldn't really be. Let's try to stay. If, if you want to know the long one, you can look it up later yourself. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So a family's serene beach vacation turns to chaos when their doppelgangers appear and begin to terrorize them. This, as I said before, is the sophomore's uh, second feature film directed by and written by Jordan Peele. This one stars a pretty damn strong collection of people with Lupita Nyong'o, Winston Duke, who most people will probably just go, oh, he was Baku in Black Panther, Elizabeth Moss, um, and the two real standouts, I think, for me, uh, are the two young children, um, uh, Shahadi Wright Joseph played Zora and Evan Alex played Jason. I thought they were particularly good. Um, so I have a feeling that this is a kind of film, mm. and I'll be very curious to hear. I mean, I've seen this before, I saw this at the cinema when it came out mm. uh, last year uh, for a very brief run here in Australia. Um, and I, I was watching it again, and I, I think first up to say that this is a film that does get better with multiple viewings, um, which I know sounds like a bit of a cop-out. I know we kind of stuck the boots in the Tenet a few weeks ago for saying it's what everybody says about Tenet. Um, but there was a, a quite a technical difference. Very technical difference. That we need, you can't understand what they're saying in that film. can't hit them, yeah. Uh, this one, I think, is just one of those films there's so much going on. You, you, you won't even notice what's going on. If the first, everything, you can't notice everything the first time you... Repeated viewings to be rewarded with extra stuff, but I found myself thinking a couple of things while I was watching this, particularly because I was thinking about you. Mm. One, how well would George's superpower of ruining the plot for himself and telling himself what, figuring out what's going on in the first ten minutes of a film, how, or at least at a very early point in in the film, I'm wondering how well that played out for you. Mm-hmm. And and I'm also terribly curious because I think if you look at the the one thing I noticed when I was having a look through INDB on this yesterday, you look at the user reviews. Mm. The, the critical reviews aren't great, which is bizarre for me because mm-hmm. I think this is great. But mm-hmm. the, um, if you just look at the user reviews, the amount of ones and twos and threes, stupid, mm. so stupid, awful, most overhyped movie, so disappointing. Did I watch the same movie as everybody else? 
I didn't even bother. What the fuck? Biggest hype ever. Avoid. Mm. <laughs> so mm. I'm wondering, like, it can't really seem to split people down the middle on this mm. one. I'm mm. wondering which side you came down on. So for me, this is another solid movie by Jordan Peele doing some interesting stuff that isn't normal. Like um, anyone can go back and listen to our past episode where we talked about Get Out. Um, there is nothing wrong with this movie, but both Get Out and Us just didn't connect with me on that deeper enjoyment level. And to answer your first question, as soon as um, the first jump scare happens to um, to uh, Adelaide's younger self um, in the kind of the flashback sequence, that was when I knew exactly how this movie was going to end. That's unfortunate. Yeah, I can could, you turn that off? I wish, um, but it it to me it was painfully obvious, but it wasn't a kind of like a a, a breaker a deal breaker for me of being able to appreciate the movie because I really genuinely do appreciate this movie and it was an interesting kind of um, there was I, I felt like there was a lot of more genuine um alfred hitchcock for the modern era kind of storytelling to this one especially um compared to get out which was more of a classic um, that was a much more twilight zoney yeah yeah whereas this this one there was a lot more kind of just going on with the the relationships of the people not only but uh, not only adelaide's parents when you see them just moving around the the fairground at the beginning and the little snippets of conversation that she overhears but also her relationship as she grows up with her husband and her kids and the people that are their friends and how things are valued. It's, it was a really interesting, very well curated kind of slice of life moment. That's like, that's actually really quite interesting character work. Very interesting. The overall kind of threat for the movie didn't really do it for me. Um, the the movements of the doppelgangers was quite good um and they were kind of spooky but i didn't really feel scared i i think that it is largely unfair to call this a horror movie i disagree i disagree strongly on that one i think you're maybe i think if you figured out very early on what's going on which is your your blessing and your curse um <laughs> Uh, is um, I, I think that maybe took away would take away quite a bit of a thrill mm. um, from this. I, um, I, I, I remember quite a few chill moments. Like there's, there's a the scene where when the doppelgangers first turn up mm. on our, the main family's our, our protagonist's doorstep, and they're just standing mm. out in silhouette in the dark. You're like, that's fucking creepy as fuck. Mm. I I think maybe maybe it's just a difference of understanding what your your version of how you define a horror movie versus mine is because i thought that that was thrilling and chilling not horrific not horrifying got, got horrific afterwards like the scene in elizabeth moss's house when the doppelgangers turn up there and take them out in a couple of minutes was pretty brutal i didn't really find it because i guess maybe also because those two characters were kind of 
disgusting, horrible people generally. I they didn't were. care. And it's sort of like, okay. Well, anyway, you need to care about it. It's kind of horrific whether you care about the people or not, isn't it? Like, I don't care about the camp councillors in Friday the 13th, but um, hey, when I get... You wanted to make sure that they were going to be together forever. <laughs> the first, the, the, the guy goes out the back to smoke weed and have sex. He gets, you know, have his back broken when he's slammed across a tree by Jason in a sleeping bag. Like, I mean, that is horrific. But I don't care about the fact that he smoked weed, but I would still call that a, a horrific scene. Um, but you're right. It, it would, it, it, it's tangentially horror. Mm. Uh, I would say it's horror in the same way The Shining is a horror film. Um, yeah, maybe. Maybe I I just for for me that um th this I think maybe that this is part of where I was really getting that Hitchcockian kind of vibe to because a lot of the time it's implied vicious violence that happens it cuts away just at the very last second you don't actually see very often the insertion of weapons going into flesh it's a lot of implied or longer distance there's none of that real close up shit that is very traditional now for for modern it's typical not horrible, horror. horror but would no, you I... say the psycho is a horror film yeah i mean this is at the same level of violence as psycho mm. you never see the knife going into vivian lee it's... no you don't that is true that is true and i think that's the only actual on-screen murder in the film i think from memory i think you're right actually yeah. Anyway, you're, you're, it's a good observation. It, it does have a Hitchcockian vibe. Mm. Um, and I would also observe that this film, I think um, Jordan Peele is almost Tarantino-esque in a way, in the sense that Quentin Tarantino, you know, he's sort of well-known, but he has this encyclopedic mm. knowledge of film. He's a sponge for cinema. Mm. And he just sort of spits it back out in fantastic and interesting new ways, if you like me and you like it, or mm. derivative ways if you're potentially someone who doesn't like Tarantino film, but, you know, um, his stuff is full of references to other films. Like, you know, the Kill Bill films are full of references to other, you know, yeah. uh, Hong Kong, like even down to the suit that Uma Thurma wears is a reference to, you know, the suit that Bruce Lee wore in Game of Death and stuff like that. I think Jordan Peele is a little bit like that in terms of horror films. This film is full of references to other horror films and nods to other horror films. So, um, I think at one point they eat at a restaurant or eat some food from a place called Cobblepot. Reference mm. Cobblepot, Oswald Cobblepot. Mm. Some of a lot of the um, a, a lot of the action really was reminiscent to me of The Shining. Just down to to pick one example, there's towards the end of the film, there's a helicopter shot following a family. So spoilers, people, spoilers. They survive. <laughs> you know, shocker. What? Shocker. Um. But uh, we follow the family in the car as they're driving away from wherever it is they are. That's mm. uh, California, right? It's, it's um, Santa, Santa, Santa Cruz. Shot, Santa Cruz is where they shot the Lost Boys, and there's a yeah. reference to that in the film as well. Uh, the start Just of the a film, random like, naked saxophonist. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I still um, believe. At the start, we're in, we're in, we're in, the, we're in the boardwalk, which is where they shot Lost Boys. The, the mm. father says, "Oh, they're shooting a movie over near the carousel." Lost Boys reference. Um, yeah. And uh, but towards the end, where they're driving away from there, there's this helicopter shot of following the car for a while, and it sort of just sort of sort of veers away and over the landscape, and then we follow the line of mm. people. That that shot was really for me very reminiscent of that yeah. opening shot from 
from a shining where we have a helicopter coming zooming over the, the Volkswagen bug and then over the river and completely stuff. Completely like agree. Completely agree. So I think that is a lot, and that's when I say you get stuff out of this film the second time around or third time around if you want to go back for that. There's mm. probably a whole bunch of other stuff I did I missed um even this time. There are a bunch of those little little references to other horror films in there which you can pick up um while you're watching. Apparently uh Jordan Peele gave the cast 11 horror films to watch so they would have a shared language. That was Jaws, Dead Again, The Shining, Shot Horror, Uh The Babadook, It Follows, which I can see, uh, Uh A Tale of Two Sisters, The Birds, Funny Games, Martyrs, Let the Right One In, and The Sixth Sense. Um, All of those make sense. It does. When you actually know that, and it's all from trivia and IMDb, I I don't know Jordan personally, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get him. <laughs> um, give it time. Uh, I am a fan, but um, yeah. So you can you, once you can sort of see mm. he's synthesized a lot of those images, imagery, and styles mm. into his film, and, and he sort of spits it back out at random points, which I enjoy. He's very meta mm. of him, but um, I think where it kind of maybe falls down for a lot of people is the story is really complex and convoluted, and kind of unlikely. Well. I think it kind of it's a it's a unnecessary false lead is the opening kind of text that comes in talking about the tunnels and thing and the subway stations that are just unused or no one knows why they're there and things like that it's like okay and then like one of the very first things that you see is the 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 TV showing the adverts and one of the videos one of the video cassettes next to it is the chud and it's like okay is this an allusion to to chuds or any of those kind of urban legends this that could be an interesting thing but obviously if you've watched the trailer for this then you know it's not chuds <laughs> but it it there, there's there's a lot of I, I feel like he kind of tries to do a bit of a bait and switch on it and doesn't really reveal enough about it early early on to actually make you go Oh, okay. And by by the time it was revealed for me, I just didn't care. It's like, okay, there are doppelgangers. Fine, that's 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 a thing in this world. I, th- I think though that that's that's a very. I'm going to sound like I'm having a go at you here, but I'm, please, I'm not. Um, I think it's a very superficial um, appraisal of a film. Yes, it's about doppelgangers who go around stabbing people, and yes. They live in a tunnel underneath Santa Cruz boardwalk for some reason, and there are escalators down there, which is great. Um, and they roar rabbits, um, and they sort of exist in this shadow existence where sort of shadowing the actions of their doppelgangers who live on the surface. Mm. On a superficial level, I think that's what the film is about. Um, but I don't think you can say that's what the, this, the essence of a film is. I think he's saying something with this film. And um, what I think maybe is one of the reasons I really quite like this film is it's up to you to decide what you think it is he's saying. I mean, one sort of interpretation, would be, and I suspect it's, it's a reasonable one considering, um, you know, his messaging in Get Out, um, is mm. a racial one in the sense that, like, it's almost like the African-American society exists African-Americans in the United States exist as a shadow society of, you know, white culture. Um, you know, they, they almost do live in an underground sub-society, which is, you know, you know ignored, mm. and they, they do, in theory, have access to the same experiences as, you know, 
the the above ground society in this case that would be you know white society mm. um and but they theirs is somehow a an almost a cruel trick or i may say a such a, like a cruel facsimile of what the what the um above ground society gets that it's it's almost it's insulting you know she saw at one point um adelaide said if you, doppelganger adelaide says mm. you know you had soft toys oh it was so cruel man cut my fingers or something like that you know mm. so pointy and sharp i cut my fingers when i played with them mm. um and i, I mean I, i'm i'm one of the worst people to be sitting here trying to talk about subtext because i'm terrible at it um <laughs> but you know i can see you, you can interpret this to be they have that subtext of being you know uh as i said you know like yes uh, African Americans live in the richest country on earth, and yes, they theoretically have access to amazing healthcare and amazing schools, mm. but they don't really, mm. you know. So, you know, uh, they, you know, on, on the surface, they have uh, it looks like they have the same things, but they really don't. It's a cruel facsimile mm. of what the what the white society or the above ground society gets, and that's one way you could interpret the film. Yeah. Um, so, in a way, I, I kind of enjoyed that I was being fed. A horror film uh, which is really saying something completely different about society mm. I, I i don't know i i don't think that i i don't dislike this movie um but there's just at the moment the the big thing for me that i uh, i guess is i don't think jordan peele has found his voice yet Excuse me. I think you're absolutely on the money on his um, encyclopedic connection akin to Quentin Tarantino. But whereas Quentin Tarantino slammed you in the face pretty much straight off of the bat with who he is and how he does shit and how he tells stories, you very quickly got, oh, okay, that's what this guy is about. Whereas there's, um, I think Jordan Peele is trying to do something more in intelligent with his storytelling and he so far his two movies have come out and they have got a lot of sub subtext and context to them um beyond the tarantino stuff which is he doesn't do subtext really yeah yeah. i mean i like you i love the guy a fanboy hat on Mm. um but the guy there's no subtext of reservoir dogs yeah but i think that I, I, I can't wait to see because it feels um, this and get out to me feel very different and feel like Jordan having just sampling and testing the waters and learning his craft as the writer and director. And it is clear that he has got talent, but not everything is kind of firing on all at once for me at the moment. I think that his third movie, if he's able to just get, of himself into it and uh, actually d- start building that kind of expectation of what kind of movie you're going to get when you get a Jordan Peele movie and his his particular style I think it's going to start I'm think I think I'm going to be able to appreciate it more but right now it does feel like a, him doing a lot of testing and it's all good but for me it's just not necessarily all gelling together it's not quite finished in some way I I I'm, I disagree. Um, I like Get Out a lot more than you did, which is mm. yeah. Which is have different opinions, but I mm. love Get Out. I thought Get Out was genius. I thought Get Out was the most audacious and brilliant um, debut feature I can remember 
for quite some time. I mean, I'd like to say from mm. Reservoir Dogs, but I mean, there might be one in the meantime. I'm forgetting. Oh, you know, uh, was the Sixth Sense? Was that was that um, Shyamalan's debut? I'm not sure. It was uh, his big. F- Real, it was, it was cinematic. Yeah, uh, I don't know if he actually did. He did help write Stuart Little. Directorially, <laughs> though, um, <laughs> he he um, had made a film before that, but it wasn't so, yeah. released. Um, so you know, um, mm. it, it's it's for me. I think it was one of the most brilliant film debuts in the last twenty years, if not the most for me. You know, uh, mm. um, I, I liked it um, a lot. Uh, and I, so in a way, I, I absolutely, I would actually disagree. And I think he has found his feet as a director. And I feel like you are going to get, I'm, I already know a little bit about what I'm going to get with a Jordan Peele picture in the sense that I'm going to get um, probably in this case, I mean, we go back to Tarantino again. What was he, what kind of stories was he telling originally? Mm. He was telling, uh, you know, pulpy uh, crime stories. Mm. It's really, really the first three of his pictures in, in you know, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown. Um, he, we, we, we knew we were going to get ultra violence and we were going to get it in a way that was somehow kind of funny. <laughs> and he, we were going we to get that sort of, that, he was one of the first people to really insert that meta mm. of, um, you know, in referencing other films, which wasn't really done quite so widely at the time. So again, with Jordan, I feel like we're getting, uh, normally horror films on the surface, but actually, actually message films that are probably, I think, telling a, a story about. Um, you know, being African-American in the United States in the 21st century under mm. Trump, the first two films, at least, in Trump's America. Um, so that that's, I think he's got a very original voice. i kind of on the same page with you in a sense. I don't think he quite pulled the second one off. Mm. Um, I think I'm giving this film a pass. I'm giving it a bit of a pass because uh, he degree of difficulty was off the charts here. Like he was mm-hmm. trying something very, very difficult to tell mm. a very difficult and unusual story, almost Lynchian in a way. Like it was a very weird story. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, in the sense that I could definitely see people sort of coming and give a scene where they've got all the, the doppelgangers in their underground tunnels going, what the fuck? Mm. Who pays for this? Who replaces the rabbits? Who pays the power bills? Who cleans up the rabbit shit? Who takes out the dead bodies? Who cleans the toilets? Who fixes the plumbing? You know, like, um, but we didn't need, I didn't feel like I needed answers to all those questions, but mm. I could see how people would. Um, so I don't, he's, it's a bit like he's trying something very, very difficult and he succeeded pretty well mm. as compared to something like, I don't know, what the Conjuring films. Mm. People seem to really like. I think they're lousy because they're telling lousy, cliche ridden stories in a mm. really, you know, mediocre kind of a way. We're fine. Mm. They're fine. Yeah. But, they're telling a lousy story I've seen a hundred times before. This one, I've never seen anything like us before. And maybe he didn't succeed all the way. But mm. I think he got well down that path. Mm. And I guess also because he's kind of tapping into my, and just as I'm like putting my hand up as a bit of a, a cliche um, bias here. He's really playing into my, into what kind of things I like, right? Mm. I love The Shining. There's no secret about that. If you're going to send half your film referencing one of my favorite films, you know, I, I feel like you're on pretty solid ground with me. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would just like to call out some of the performances you mentioned earlier. The kids in this were great, and mm-hmm. and they and they truly are, are very good. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I remember walking out of this and thinking that Lupita Nyong'o deserved an Academy Award for this. Um, in terms of someone who's playing two roles in the one film, oh, she absolutely knocked this out of a park, if only from her physical performance. 
like um, her playing, um, you know, Adelaide's uh, doppelganger, you've got absolutely, they not only do they look different, they talk different, they move incredibly differently. So mm-hmm. that's Red uh, mm-hmm. is her doppelganger's yep. name. Uh, when she's red, she just moves in such an incredibly weird and kind of creepy way. Um, and it, the the I think the 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 thing with it is, it's not weird. It's not a weird walk that looks like that of a monster. It's just incredibly tight and stiff. But it's still it, it like the way that they sort of like hold the knife, uh, the the scissors and things like that. It's very mm. kind of rigid and almost uniform, but not quite. It's kind of taps into the uncanny valley a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I think. Yeah, it's not quite human. Yeah, it's it's almost like someone um, went. Oh, you know what? We're gonna do um, full motion uh, CGI caption of this, but take out like two frames just to make it. A little some, something not quite right there. You're missing a little something. It's it's weird. It's like somebody taught someone learn how to walk and be a human by listening to somebody else describe how to walk and talk and be a human. Mm, mm. Um, I talked a few weeks ago about um, seeing the Pucifer live stream and how mm. Maynard had, had this sort of bizarre outfit on, but just the way he moved was so weird. And it was kind of again like. It's like an alien had grown up watching television of how people walked and mm. trying to hadn't actually quite ever learned how to do it properly. And I got that impression from his performance in that show. And they're very, they're very different kind of performance here. But um, I thought that was wonderful. I thought that was absolutely brilliantly done. Um, Winston Duke was great in this. And something I picked mm-hmm. up from watching this the second time around, which I didn't get the first time, he's playing Jordan Peele. He's 100% playing Jordan Peele. Like, if, if this was a low-budget film, Jordan would have played this role himself. Um, he, uh, everything about Winston Duke's performance is basically Jordan Peele. Um, there are a couple of moments, in, especially early in the film, I was like, I was sort of half looking and I sort of looked up and he had the glasses on. It almost reminded me of some of the skits, skits that he did on Key and Peele. Did you ever watch Key and Peele? Uh-uh. There's some really great, it, like most sketch comedy, some of it's genius. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of trash in Evo. Um, <laughs> so there's, there's um, I won't I'll go over it, but there's some really great skits in there. And I, I watched quite a bit of it, um, uh, especially after Obama came out and said that he, those guys were his, they, the favorite impression of anybody who did an impression of him was what was Keen <laughs> Peel's impression. Um, and so it's a little bit like if you go back to the late 90s, early 2000s, the um, Woody, Woody Allen, I know we don't talk about him anymore, um, but. Woody Allen quite often <laughs> wouldn't act in his films anymore, but he would cast people to basically play Woody Allen. Mm. So going back to obscure town here, but he did a film called Celebrity. Um, oh, and Kenneth, hell, yeah. Kenneth Branner basically yeah. played Woody Allen. There was um, there was a one that starred Larry David, which I can't remember exactly what it was called. Um, but basically Larry David played mm. Woody Allen, which is actually really, really great because – yeah. What a great actor to play Woody Allen. Uh, yeah. Larry David yeah. does an amazing job at it. Uh, whatever works, I think it's called. Um, and it's it's another example of someone who turns out to be a shitty human being um, that made some great art because um, mm. I'd like to recommend that film. But it's a Woody Allen film, so I don't know that I could do that right now. <laughs> um, but Woody Allen would do that. Woody basically wanted to direct, but he wrote – Basically, he kept writing the kind of films that he would have started in 30, 40 years ago. 
Yeah. So he would just cast wonderful actors who would come in and basically play Woody Allen. Yeah. Um, I wonder if Jordan's starting to do that. I don't know if he did that in Get Out, but in this film he absolutely did. So if you're a Jordan Peele fan, you'll probably keep an eye out for that. Mm-hmm. Winston Duke is basically doing his best Jordan Peele impression. And I, you mentioned it earlier that Elizabeth Moss mm-hmm. is wonderful in this um, mm-hmm. purely because she's absolutely fucking horrible. Yes. And so is, I think it's Tim Heidecker who plays yes. her husband who, again, is equally reprehensibly horrible, idle, rich asshole. And another, like, real credit, I think, for Lupita and Elizabeth, those two did such good jobs of differentiating between the the normal versions of their characters and the doppelgangers, because Elizabeth Moss's version of herself is just just so broken and disgusting and that smile and the way that she physically shifts her face as she's talk uh, just looking at and trying to kind of assessing things it's brilliant elizabeth moss is a fucking awesome actress she's brilliant i don't i mean i i think like um if it went for covid right now we'd probably be talking about her as maybe one of a major female stars in Hollywood because mm-hmm. the Invisible Man did big business. Yeah. Um, and she got great reviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, she's in The Handmaid's Tale, which is fucking huge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Elizabeth Moss doesn't get enough credit as being mm-hmm. one of, I think, one of the most talented uh, actresses in, in Hollywood today. And maybe she will continue to be after mm. we, we start going back to, you know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, after we go back to, to, to starting to make stuff again. Um, but yeah, it, 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 it's, it was also, yeah, there's so much stuff going on in this picture. I, mm-hmm. would you recommend this to someone? I guess is the question. <sighs> really tough, really tough to say. Um, I think that it's an interesting movie to watch, but I don't know if I'm going to go back and watch this anytime soon. Um, I'm glad that I have watched it because there's a lot that I like in it. It's, I just think there's like, I posted about it on Facebook. It's like, I, I feel like I'm missing something about Jordan Peele movies. I can see that he's talented. I can see the talent of the actors. They all look great. They're well produced. Everything about them. The music is great, but there's just some disconnect there that I don't know why. Um, as for like, other people like I wouldn't let I wouldn't say Shay would watch this. No, probably because not. It would creep her out. It's just too creepy. Yeah, I know what you mean. Though, like there are some people out there who everybody fucking loves, mm. but you know, uh, it, it just doesn't work for me, right? Mm. Um, so one that comes to mind for me is um, oh, what's his name? <laughs> he directed the Royal Tenenbaums. Is it Paul? Where's Anderson? Where's Anderson? When they send everybody. Most of the time, wets their pants over a new Wes Anderson film, and I just find them. I mean, I like to be Isle of Dogs, mm-hmm. but apart from that, I find them utterly soulless and pretentious and dull. I, again, like <laughs> a little bit like you, I can see the guy knows exactly what he's doing. Mm-hmm. He gets great performances out of his cast. They look amazing. We they've got this incredible dry sense of humor going on in them, mm-hmm. but. It does nothing for me. I mean, probably a little bit more extreme maybe than your reaction to Jordan here, but Mm. you can see someone knows what they're doing without actually enjoying it at the same Mm. time. Yeah. I think, I think the thing is I'm, I seem to be very, very 
picky and particular about what kind of horror and thrillers actually really work for me. And more often than not, I usually find that traditional American Hollywood um, horror movies are usually just soulless. This has got a soul. Don't don't get me wrong on that at all. But it's rare that a modern horror movie of anything actually kind of sticks with me or I find scary. Like the Babadook was brilliant and terrifying. Um, a lot of the stuff coming out of Korea and Japan is chilling and brilliant. But there's also a whole lot of dreck that you just look at and go, okay, Nah, this is torture porn. Did you ever see Hereditary? No, because I don't like Tony Collette. I don't think we should let you stay in the country for saying things like that. <laughs> uh, what about Midsummer? I really want to watch that. Yeah, I really I want mean, to see I mean, it. Very, if we ever get around to seeing it, well, I'll mm. be interested in your opinion. Mm. Um, anyway, that's I, mm. I, I'm a bit like you. I don't know if I'd recommend this film to mm. many people. I guess that would very much depend on who I was talking to. Mm. If it was somebody who enjoyed thoughtful uh films and enjoyed a film that really made you stop and question things and that kind of stuff i would say especially a, f- a horror fanatic mm. um i think they get a lot out of this um if they were looking if they're the kind of person who sort of goes "Ooh, you know a new fast and furious movie um you know i'd be like this yeah. is probably one to turn around and walk away from you're not going to get it i think the fact that jordan peele kind of had that homework for all of them to to watch that's the list of movies kind of oh do you like this 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 and this it's like yes you'll probably like us if you listen to that list and go mm, no not for me you're really not gonna like this um, it's interesting you're talking about him maybe finding his voice in his next film interestingly his next film is the first one that he hasn't written as an original Oh, interesting. So next film will be a remake of Candyman. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I remember hearing about that. So he has written a screenplay, but of course it is based on the earlier um, film, um, mm-hmm. which I saw in the 90s and I fucking hated Um But I was 14 or so at the time. So uh, it's now apparently acknowledged as a modern horror classic. Mm. um so maybe i should go back and watch it again and get something out of it i i didn't like it at the time yeah i've i've never found them particularly compelling um they're fine they're part of the period that they there was a slew of all sorts of slasher horror movies supernatural inspired movies and it's like okay it's this one that has got a different name and has a weird little weird quirk. All right, cool. I've heard it mentioned again. It's got a subtext to it. It's really about other things. It's mm. not really, you know, a bit like oh. Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead is, you know, a zombie movie, but technically, you know, is what it's got this subtext about mm. consumerism, etc. Romero put in. But again, I was very young at the time and <laughs> probably wasn't picking that up. Okay, so now uh, point of order. Apparently, he's just writing Candyman. He's not, he's not directing it. Okay, no. right. Ned, so see now he's got a, a near mm. the cost on there. So yeah, um, apparently the his next movie is scheduled for twenty twenty two, and it's just called Untitled Jordan Peele Horror Event. Mm-hmm. Okay, well we'll see how it goes then. <laughs> um, uh, he also has to point out here that I was excited about his work on the Twilight Zone. 
but it was really fucking lousy. Mm, yeah, I remember you being disappointed with that. Uh, and I don't know how much he, he developed it. Mm. I don't know exactly what that means. Does it just mean they whack his name on the poster? And yeah, he, maybe. He, he does the Rod Serling thing at the front, and then that's yeah. Um, yeah. How much creative control he might have had over that, I don't know. Yeah. Where are we taking you now? The big question is, where are you taking us? Well... I'm going to give you two choices <clears throat> and very, very similar movies to choose from, but um, neither I have, I have seen neither of them. Um, so I'm going to leave it to you to decide which one. The first one, um, we could follow Lupita Nyong'o to 12 Years a Slave, which gives us a lot of yes. sort of like a Hollywood cream of the crop careers to go down from there or we could again follow jordan peele to his comedy keanu i think <laughs> in this uh, much i haven't seen keanu um but i think in the spirit of what we do here mm -hmm. i think we need to go lupita nyongo to 12 years of slave because i don't think we've done doubled up before have we i mean if we have we probably shouldn't have mm, yeah. um i think we've done jordan once Mm -hmm. And I, I think I have seen bits of 12 Years a Slave. Mm. And, and I am also now just looking at the cast. I'm like, bingo, I know exactly where to go after this. Yeah, this is going to be your chance to get back to Serenity. No, no, I, <gasps> I promise you it was not Serenity. Okay. Okay. Interview I, I, with the it, I, I saw Scoot McNary's in it. And I'm like, finally, we can go back to Dawn of Justice. <laughs> <laughs> What then I've never remembered that really the only real proper way for us to do that would be to make me watch the extended cut. Um, and <laughs> I really don't want to spend not that four, cruel. I don't want to spend four hours in that universe. I'm not that cruel. I wouldn't do a death machine on you. <laughs> hey, that was not four hours. It, got, it <laughs> might have felt like it, but it wasn't. <laughs> it did. It did. It really did. All right. So next, um, next week we will be talking about the highly lauded Steve McQueen directed 12 Years a Slave. That's an exciting prospect. I, like I said, I, I haven't seen the whole thing, so I'm excited mm. to see. But... I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Very uh, much looking forward to it. Absolutely. It'll be, it'll be a lot of fun. Mm. Okay. Not really. I'm kidding. It's not a fun movie. No. <laughs> it, is, it is not. Um, it is oh, not. Oh, shit, at least. That'll be a laugh. <laughs> I did give you the option of Gangster Cat. <laughs> I, you know me, I'm, 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 I am down with depressing movies. That's what I'm about. <laughs> All right, where should we go next? Do you want to talk or shall I? I, I mean, you can go next. You can, okay. You, people, let the people hear you. Sure. Well, I'm going to um, have a bit of an extended over three movies pulled into one thing, a bit of an Andy Samberg thing. Okay. So you don't give me a week, right? You've been watching a lot of his stuff. Yeah, like I, I recently kind of got into his style of comedy care of Brooklyn Nine Nine, which is now over at Netflix, and I just very much enjoyed that. It was entertaining. Uh, so I thought, why not? I'll give it a go. And I saw that um, his one of his latest movies was available on Prime Video. So I thought, why not watch it? And it is called Palm Springs. And this is, um, it's an interesting movie because it very much plays on the idea of Groundhog Day. Um, but it 
doesn't quite have that same charm that Groundhog Day has in abundance because Bill Murray is so fantastic. Um, but it plays with other things in an interesting manner. So it's uh, when carefree Niles and reluctant maid of honor Sarah have a chance encounter at a Palm Springs wedding, things get complicated as they are unable to escape the venue themselves or each other because the day keeps resetting. And um, the concept of this is actually really good because unlike Bill Murray, who just wakes up in a bed and breakfast every morning to put your little hand in mine. Um, it's there are ongoing horrible repercussions of what happened the night before. And I'm talking particularly about the character of Sarah and what she was doing the night before. And they get caught in this loop and it keeps going and going and going. And every single time it resets, she gets put back into this horrible situation and so she is consistently reminded of this and i won't say what it is because it is a very good twist on that concept it's not your typical thing whereas um andy sandberg's niles character very much is more of the bill murray kind of character where he wakes up and he's with his girlfriend who's horrible and he knows is cheating on her um but even then they're not alone because it, apparently andy sandberg his character has been doing this for like 40 odd years the director said and there is the possibility that people can follow him through this thing that causes it to, to causes them to get caught in this loop as well such as jk simmons character roy and roy doesn't deal with it very well and so every now and then roy turns up and hunts niles <laughs> for that day niles is being hunted by someone who's really pissed off at him um and it just there's a lot that's just very enjoyable and endearing, but they also put a lot more psychology into what this would, how this would affect someone. And you have very, um, very different points of view across those three main characters in this. And it's, it's really nicely done. I actually very, very much enjoyed it. It's not a laugh out loud comedy. It's definitely trying to play the straight comedy more which sounds like a departure from his normal brainless fart and dick joke kind of material yeah there's still that in there for sure and okay. it's it's very much an andy sandberg kind of vehicle but there's more to it beyond just that and it's not really from his point of view his character does learn to kind of grow up so to speak um but it's because of his interactions with Sarah and with Roy eventually getting to the point where he's like, okay, I, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to move on. And it, the, the, him, him being, you know, his journey through this from being very seemingly generally kind of content, if not entirely happy about the day repeating, it's, an analogy for him finally growing up, which 
makes sense. It's 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 a bit of that that particular kind of ideology is kind of cliched in that repeating the day is like oh you've got to you know the the karma kind of vibe to it and they even bring that up in the movie um and it's fun now it's like yeah no karma's bullshit (laughs) and they they play it well but so i do recommend it it's not a very long movie um it's sitting on a a 7.4 83 metacritic score i think that's maybe a little high but it's it's enjoyable if you like Andy Samberg, um, if you want something that is funny, but also gives you a little bit more of that serious consideration, you're probably going to enjoy it. It, it, it almost sold me on it. Yeah, it's it's definitely something. If it, It's one of those movies where if you're not interested within the first 25 minutes, if you find that you're struggling uh, within those first 25 minutes, you go, Okay, yeah, I'm out. Bounce. Um, I think the twist and the t- the the revelations by the end are worth sticking through. But if you're just struggling through those first few minutes, I'm like, okay, no, because it carries on, it develops over over time, but you're just gonna not really enjoy it for a long time. And I don't know whether the payoff is entirely worth that much self harm. <laughs> so you know. So basically, if it, if it doesn't grab you early, get out. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if you're subscribed to Prime Video, it's there. You're not having to pay extra for it. You can just bounce and pick it up again later on if you do so wish. Um, but after that, I thought, okay, you know what? I'm going to see what else is done. And I found two sports mockumentaries that he has done. And I love a good mockumentary. You think about Spinal Tap. You think about um, Best in Show. Um, even mascots. Uh, these are all by the same the same guys, the the Christopher Guest crew. But they're I I really enjoy them. But he has been doing. Um, I guess they're kind of side projects because he's not. Like the, he's not in it. It's not a a traditional movie. He's like one of the sort of like producers and creators and one of the main, one of the main characters, but it's an ensemble piece. So he probably doesn't have to spend too much time actually on set or anything. But the first one that I saw was a movie called Seven Days in Hell. And this is from 2015. And it's a fictional documentary. Um, that exposes the rivalry between two of the greatest tennis players of all time who battled it out in a 2001 match that lasted seven days. And (laughs) it's it's stupid. It's set in Wimbledon, and (laughs) it's got um, Kit Harrington, who was from Game of Thrones. Uh, It's got Fred Armisen, uh, a cameo by David Copperfield, Will Forte, um, Philip Hammer, Howie Mandel, John McEnroe. Um, they get Serena Williams to come in uh, as for cameos. It's a lot of cameos. Um, one of the best fucking bits is Michael Sheen. Um, he plays this guy called Caspian Wink. And he is, if you've ever watched any like 1980s or 1990s 
specific sports show talk thing where they get to like he's he's this sort of like overweight smoking gentleman is like uh, he's talking uh, about you know the the career of someone and stumbling through this weird diatribe much like me right now um and then invites the guest on as like, you're you're very much like a, a child prodigy and it's this stereotypical asshole british interviewer and he plays it fucking brilliantly sounds a bit david frosty yeah kind of but it's it's taking the piss out of david frost yeah um and it's really entertaining it's really it again it seems like a really short film it didn't stick around for too long but it's taking such a really good it's it's taking all of the piss out of tennis players and the people who adore that sport and the shit that goes on it's it's just entertaining um so i thought okay you know what what else has he done along the along these lines and i found another movie from 2017 called tour de pharmacy and this one is a mockumentary that chronicles the prevalence of doping in the world of professional cycling in one particular year and this has got um orlando bloom freddie highmore um it's got uh, john cena david diggs james marsden maya rudolph um danny glover mike tyson jeff goldblum um dolph lundgren and a cameo by lance armstrong as well yeah. kevin, kevin bacon. bacon will forte it's all over the shop and it's again comedy gold that i was not expecting it's not laugh out loud all the time but it's like well put together vignettes and my god john cena is actually really funny in it and i think that's the shock of the last three years is he can do comedy pretty well yeah he was really true. good in train wreck yeah um and Cock blockers was actually quite fun um he's been on the john he was on the um the john oliver show this year yeah talking about conspiracy theories mm-hmm. and and uh, <laughs> um the whole idea of like, if you won't listen to me maybe you listen to john cena and while he was basically doing his read of a script he started taking his, sh- his shirt off and his clothes <laughs> uh, and like and apparently john oliver was like we didn't ask him to do it he just did it um but it made it that much more funny yeah and the fact that he actually improv that really actually makes me think the guy might actually be really fucking good. He might be yeah. really, really talented as an actor. I mean, The Rock got there in the end. I mean, Rock only yeah. does one thing really well, but that's fine. He does The Rock. <laughs> maybe, maybe Cena just does a bit like Hemsworth, right? He yeah. just does goofy comedy really well. Yeah, but what what makes Cena shine even more is um, his character is that they they have an interview with the older version of him, and it's Dolph Lundgren, and it's like that actually works kind of brilliantly because John Cena is like this ridiculous, it's his typical wrestler frame on a, on a bike and it just looks absurd. And then you suddenly see Dolph Lundgren and they've got him in a slightly oversized shirt. So he looks even thinner and like that, that withered, he's no longer on steroids kind of look to him. And it, it the, the, the parallels are just beautiful. It actually works really, really well. Um, 
And then they had um, Andy Samberg played Marty Haas, who's a white South African, and he is oblivious to how how badly racially and socially inappropriate it is that he is being very appropriating of African culture during a time when the apartheid was still very much in, in in place and it's like no that's really wrong and you get keep getting these cuts to us like fuck Marty has and everyone just hates him but then the older version of him is played by jeff goldblum and again it's fucking perfect they they complement these people really really well it's it, it's just very clever and again you're kind of watching it it's like okay this is actually kind of interesting and really funny. And my God, Jeff Goldblum has got one of the funniest fucking lines in the goddamn movie. And it comes in a post-credit, like little extra interview bit. Um, but you know, there's there's lines like um, "people dope, yeah, they risk their lives," but you know, this is a sport with literally hundreds of dollars on the line and dozens of fans that stakes a medium. It, it's. It, it takes the piss out of the whole sport and it just builds and builds and builds. Like, <laughs> here we go. Um, they're talking to a doctor because one, um, uh, Orlando Bloom's character dies early on. No spoilers because it's the first thing you see. And the, the, the doctor goes, yes, in the autopsy, they found Juju was on EPO and cocaine. Also some insulin, anabolic steroids, Oxaboline, then Nandrol, trace amounts of norethetorophin, uh, fusibolin. They even found some heroin in his system. There was also, and it just keeps going and going and going and going and going and going until it becomes so absurd and stupid. You can't help but, yeah. And then it finishes it off. It's like he also had apparently eaten at least one sandwich from Arby's. (laughs) 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 It's just dumb but it's all played super super straight if leslie nielsen was still kicking around they probably would have got him involved because this is exactly the kind of thing that nielsen became famous for so that's my little ode to andy sandberg three movies that i do recommend they're easy to watch they're kind of where are you finding me on prime uh Palm Springs was on Prime, and the other two, where were they? Um, I think they were on Stan, maybe? Maybe? Uh, Seven Days in Hell. Uh, Oh, that's uh, Care of Binge, Foxtel, and YouTube. And then um, Tour de Pharmacy was on well apparently it's gone now <laughs> because it's the same you can't, it. Not you can't watch it oh. i spoke its name too often and now it's gone God, people it, are it, refusing that it even exists it's a rumor mm. yep it's just a myth <laughs> but yeah it's it's enjoyable if you like andy sandberg comedy you'll really like this if you like um stupid cameos by great actors just having a fun time you'll like this if you like typical mockumentary kind of films you'll like this uh i do like a good mockumentary i don't like any sandberg though so but Mm. you did you kind of sold me on palm springs um Mm. so i might take a look at that if i have time 
Hmm. Um, but, and hopefully the, uh, the, the toilet humor is at a particularly low level or unnoticeable for me because I hate that. But um, it, it You'll notice like, it, but yeah. the story develops particularly nicely, especially after the first 20, 25 minutes. I will find find time to have a look because I if it's anything like I mean of course Groundhog Day is possibly my my favorite movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, as a side note, um, I did a quick check on best directorial debuts, and according to a poll from IMDb, the votes were Marty by Delbert Mann from 1955, West Side Story in 1961 by Jerome Robbins with Robert Wise. Ordinary People in 1980 by Robert Redford. Terms of Endearment in 83 by James L. Brooks. Dances with Wolves in 1990 from Kevin Costner. American Beauty by Sam Mendes in 1999. Citizen Kane, Orson Welles, 1941. The Maltese Falcon, 1941 by John Huston. The Knight of the Hunter, Charles Lawton. 1955. That is a great movie. Really scary how he just got children. Classic. Uh, 12 Angry Men by Sidney Lumet, 1957. Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, 1966 by Mike Nichols. The Producers, Mel Brooks, 1967. Easy Rider, Dennis Hopper, 1969. Play, Play Misty for Me, 1971, Clint Eastwood. Blood Simple, Joel Nathan Cohen, 1984. This is Spinal Tap by Rob Reiner, 1984. Reservoir Dogs, 1992 by some guy called Quentin Tarantino. Shawshank Redemption by Frank Darabont, 94. Bottle Rocket by Wes Anderson, 96. Richard Kelly got a nod for Donnie Darko in 2001. And District 9 in 2009 by Neil Blomkamp. So there's some it, interesting choices in there. Interesting how some, uh, some of those directors, like people like Richard Kelly and Neil Blomkamp, have just gone on to do absolutely nothing with their careers after that. Um mm. It's a shame. Um, But, yeah, look, I mean, there's some old movies in there which I had not seen. Mm -hmm. But um, I I think Jordan deserves to be in amongst them. Um, Should we move on? Let's move on. Let's move on. I have got a chance uh, today Mm -hmm. to check out the new HBO offering, which has landed on Fox Hell here in Australia, The Undoing. Mm-hmm. Um, which is the new series starring Nicole Kidman and Huge Grunt um, mm-hmm. and created by David E. Kelly. That name sounds familiar to you. You would almost certainly have seen something he's done. He was kind of the man in the 80s and 90s. We're talking mm-hmm. L.A. Law, Ali McBeal, The Practice, Boston That's Legal. That's it. Yeah. Um, uh, Chicago Hope. Picket Fences, Doogie Hauser. He mm. also more recently did um, Pretty Little, uh, sorry, is it Big Little Lies? Oh, yep. Um, so uh, in amongst it, though, fascinatingly, some fascinating entries in his backstory. Like off topic for a second. He wrote the teleplay for the Wonder Woman reboot from about 10 years ago for the TV reboot. Um, starring, um, uh, what's the name? Adrian Palicki as mm. Wonder Woman. Uh, interesting. A little bit offbeat from like LA Law to be doing superhero mm-hmm. stuff. Um, he also wrote um, Placid Lake. Lake, sorry, Lake Placid. I think it was Lake Placid. The, the he Alligator wrote Lake, Lake Placid? Lake Placid was written by David E. Kelly, the same guy who did LA Law and Picket Fences and Doogie Hauser. <laughs> 
that that's that's definitely I'm, like, he's, I'm looking for he's looking for it this afternoon going okay i'm gonna see what he's he's done with the fact what, what the why the hell has he got a credit for lake placid 2 mm-hmm. okay because he, he wrote the first one that's why he's got a credit on lake placid 2 i'm like okay this is really weird he does he actually used to be a lawyer uh in his in boston in his younger mm-hmm. days which kind of explains a lot um but Giant alligator movies, sure, fine. <laughs> uh, yes. Anyway, um, so he's a big deal in in TV. He's kind of TV royalty. Yeah. Um, the Undoing: Life for a successful therapist in New York begins to unravel on the eve of her publishing her first book. Mm-hmm. Um, as I sort of said, we've got two, uh, two really big stars here: uh, Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant. Mm-hmm. Um, and we sort of we meet them. And their idyllic, well, idyllic may be a strong word, but they're, they're very, very luxurious life. They live in a wonderful townhouse in New York City. They've got their son in an exclusive private school. They have, mm-hmm. they attend sort of fundraising balls and they, um, you know, they, they get chauffeured around places. Uh, as we sort of mentioned earlier, Nicole Kidman is a therapist. Her husband, uh, Hugh Grunt, is a, a pediatric oncologist. Um, so, I mean, because you know, I mean, he works with children with cancer. He's just like so, and he's so charming and handsome and funny. Uh, and yeah, exactly, right? He's exactly the kind of person you hate. Um, and, you know, uh, while they're organizing his fundraising uh, thing for the school, their kid goes, their kids, their kid goes to uh, read in the cat, read in school. Um, uh, Nicole uh, meets a um, I guess a, a, someone whose kid is at the school who is a scholarship student. So she's from a lesser socioeconomic background. Mm. Uh, and she starts to insert herself in Nicole's life in strange and mm, in confronting ways. Uh, mm. And that is uh, Elena, played by Matilda De Angelis, who uh, is an Italian actress. So I am not familiar with her background. Mm-hmm. But this includes turning up at Nicole's gym. And standing there and having a chat to her in the change rooms while she's completely starkers. Um, okay. Which, I mean, you know, I don't, viewers of his show will be shocked to hear this. I don't go to the gym often. There, I said it. But you're uh, an athlete. I'm an athlete. It just comes naturally. You don't, oh, you know, yeah, that's uh, true. <laughs> uh, But I would imagine someone being, talking to you in the change room while they're naked is a confronting thing to happen. Um, uh, there's actually a really funny was it, was it Run Fat Boy Run, the, the Simon Pegg movie, where um, uh, Hank Azaria has does that exact thing. He actually has a conversation with Simon <laughs> Pegg while his penis is basically in Simon Pegg's face. Yeah. Um, <laughs> an underrated actor. I love Hank Azaria. I'm um, just uh, thinking of that uh, Futurama episode where they've got that that software that creates a black bar to cover everyone's yeah. decency. <laughs> um, so, you know, she's in, uh, Elena is inserting herself into their life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Nicole runs into her at the, the benefit they're helping organize together. Uh, and, you know, uh, spoiler alert, a little bit here, but it happens at the end of the first episode. Mm-hmm. She turns up, Elena turns up the next morning, uh, having been murdered in her, in her studio. Um, and wow, that kind of, that, this hat, this sort of, this is a, a bomb which explodes in the middle of um, Nicole Kidman's character, Nicole Kidman playing uh, Grace Fraser. This uh, this bomb explodes in the middle of Grace's life. 
mm. and basically shatters everything she believed, everything she thought she knew, everything that was going, you know, everything she believed in, everything she was leaning on is just mm. pff, obliterated. So I am two episodes in, so I'm not too deep in this. It's a six-part mini-series. Mm. Um, but my reflections after the first couple of, the first couple, I mean, reading that synopsis, I was like, eh, whatever. Mm-hmm. Really, I mean, how interested are you in seeing another movie about bad shit happening to rich people in New York? <laughs> it kind of it's a bit of a cliche mm-hmm. um but i must say what i think sets this apart from other shows like this that i've seen uh is the acting mm-hmm. uh i'm like to say david e kelly's scripts but again it really isn't anything particularly original at least so far mm-hmm. um it's the usual double lifey kind of stuff. Um, no spoilers a little bit there. Um, but what in the first half of the first episode, where we actually spend time getting to know um, Grace and um, and her husband Jonathan, Jonathan, played by by Hugh Grant, and just their, their domestic routine. You know, they're having a conversation over breakfast before taking mm. the kid to school. They're you know, hey, we've got to go to this thing with my dad next week. Oh, great, I got to go see him next week. Her dad, by the way, is played by Donald Sutherland. Which is um, which is wonderful to see him turning up, mm-hmm. um, and the, again, these two actors worked so well together. I was sitting there thinking, I trying to think, have they actually been in a movie together before? I feel like maybe they haven't, but um, it, it's it's a they have wonderful repartee together, and they just sort of feel like they click together. One mm. of them. Um, I know Nicole has been doing quite a bit of television. Uh, stuff lately or you know uh she was in big little liars i think from memory mm-hmm. um and uh, a few other things um top of the lake was the one i'm thinking of so uh, i don't know if Hugh has though i don't think i've seen him pop up in any tv projects of late but not uh, really no um what's interesting um for this is you know to get because yes maybe they're not as big of stars as they used to be in the 90s and early 2000s, but they are still very powerful names, and you've got a good cast here. It seems like um, this uh, this miniseries kind of uh, model is starting to make a bit of a comeback, and it's a, a, an, a, quite an opportunity for, for these actors that the star is not rising anymore at the moment to to get in and do some stuff and it's really interesting to see particularly Hugh Grant I've never thought he was much of an actor but in the last few years he's actually started to kind of morph that persona a little bit he was really creepy in Cloud Atlas he was actually kind of good and that that disgusting likable weasel in The Gentleman that we watched Mm. um he seems to be really bringing something interesting to his role. And we've we've known for a long time that uh, Nicole Kidman can really act. I mean, I loved her in Birthday Girl. I thought that was fantastic. Uh, for me, the one that I was sort of thinking today, I was going to actually ask you about your favourite Nicole Kidman films, but mm. the, the one that always stood out for me was Eyes Wide Shut. Um, I know it's very fashionable to shit in that film today and a lot of people mm-hmm. don't like it. Uh, I remember walking out of that film going, those two actors, Nicole and Tom, need, um, mm-hmm. they need Oscar nominations for that film. Mm-hmm. And I still think it's a crime as much as people are shitting Tom Cruise. Mm. And, I, and, and, and Shane in particular, I think, is one mm-hmm. person who won't just won't watch a movie that he's in. Yep. Um, and I don't think there's any actor in the world I wouldn't 
see that i mean these days maybe kevin spacey um but um i I, only because of what he's done not because Mm. of yeah he's acting Mm. um but yeah i I thought uh, she was wonderful in that and i thought you're right and then she she deserves her oscar for the hours uh all those years ago you're Mm -hmm. right i I, I think we've talked about this many times that tv or streaming services like hbo uh and, and the others are where adult storytelling lives now yeah. Complex, long form adult storytelling belongs on television in, or streaming, mm. in, you know, for want of a better term, today. It, it, m- movies that you, you very, very rarely are you going to get a chance to do that or less opportunities to do that in the cinema these days because of, you know, the things we've talked about ad nauseum here. You've got to have, you know, a pre existing property and, you know, you're, you're really targeting such a broad audience there now yeah. that they won't take the risk of telling. A complex, long-form adult story. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I suspect you're right. I mean, I don't see Tom Cruise, for example, who is still mm-hmm. a, a major star, or mm-hmm. Brad Pitt. You know, mm-hmm. I don't see them doing a TV show anytime soon. You know, like this, unless somebody seriously backs a dump truck full of money up to their house mm-hmm. because they don't have to. Unless it's a real passion project for them like um joseph gordon levitt he was for a while his star was was rising and um he's been desperately trying to make the sandman tv show happen um because that's the story he really wants to tell and you know you you hear stories of actors um by optioning the the rights for their favorite book and things like that and slowly but surely trying to get these things together um it's going to be interesting to see kind of what happens post-COVID as well. I can see well. producing stuff. So, for example, looking at Tom Cruise, he's got a number of TV producing credits. Mm. But actually starring in something, I think, mm. I mean, all these guys have production companies. Yeah. Um, but, you know, to actually get their name on the banner of new HBO series starring Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt, I mean, come on, that's doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon. Um, but it, oh, people... you saying those two together, I know that there will be a few people who would be both elated and mortified at the idea of, oh, the interview with a vampire. I know it was a, pop, <laughs> a, 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 a controversial choice back in the day. But uh-huh. you're right. These two maybe are not at the A-grade level of AAA talent they were years ago. And uh-huh. let's face it, they've probably hopefully made their money if they've saved it well enough. Yeah. Um, that they can pro- – I mean, they're probably still getting paid huge money by HBO to do this anyway. Uh-huh. But they work wonderfully well together. And Hugh Grant in particular is perfect in this role initially. Uh-huh. Um, and as you sort of say, he's been making some interesting career choices lately. Yeah. To go to a gentleman replay that very sort of slimy character, mm. uh, which was very outside of his wheelhouse. I mean, he's yeah. basically been playing the same guy for about 30 years now, which is fine if you're good at something, keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one, I suspect, even just in the first two episodes, we, we've had that sort of Jekyll and Hyde effect happen a little bit here with his character, mm-hmm. and I'm enjoying that. And I, there's nothing else, just seeing two wonderful actors not necessarily doing anything challenging here, right? They were just. A married couple at the breakfast table trying to get their son to school. Mm. And just seeing two people with such talent and such calm chemistry together doing mm. that scene, I just enjoyed watching that. Mm. It just felt real. I mean, mm. in a way, like I said, I mean, these are fucking insanely rich people, uh, insanely rich privileged people. Um, so that I've enjoyed. The acting is strong. The other name I'd like to call out here as someone who's maybe not a, a, a household name, that is Edgar Ramirez. 
Um, ah, yes. Now, the only thing I can... I don't think I've actually seen anything he's ever done. I did notice that he was um, uh, he was in the remake of... Um, Point Break. Uh, Point Break. And he played Bodhi, which is... Uh, which is unfortunate for him. Uh, he, he put he put an interesting spin on the character of Bodhi. He's I think that, I don't think he's ever had a bad role or as is in him doing bad work. But he's usually just like, okay, we need someone big, muscly, strong, and stoic. Let's get him. And he's got a bit of range. He plays a uh, a police detective um, mm-hmm. in in the show, Detective Joe Mendoza. Mendoza. Um, <laughs> um, someone had to say it. Um, uh, but I'm actually he's not got a lot of screen time in the first couple of episodes. But he, I'm really he actually really owns the screen mm. when he's on screen. Like you are watching him. He might be sitting here opposite Nicole, uh, who again, like a fine actress, holding her own. But you are focused on Edgar Ramirez and what mm. he's doing. I think this guy has a big future. Personally, he's a little bit mm-hmm. old. He's he's 40, 43 now, so he's mm-hmm. not exactly a young man. But he, I can see he's listed to be in, in the Rock's next movie, Jungle Cruise. Yep. Um, you he know, was but- in actually quite a good um, kind of horror movie called uh, Deliver Us from Evil we, uh, alongside Eric Banner and Olivia Munn. Um, I do recommend it if you like a bit more of your exorcist slash the I've Omen heard about side that. of things. Yeah, I've it's heard about it's that. pretty good. It's pretty good. So, I mean, he's greatness. I'm enjoying watching him. Um, mm. So, I mean, the downside, like mm. a, it's a pretty cliche setting, you know, uh-huh. ultra privileged, rich lifestyles. And I sometimes sat in there thinking, going, why do we make so many stories about rich people? Is it wish fulfillment? Like you look at their apartment and their cars and go, Oh, wouldn't that be nice? But I don't. It just seems it's like a wish fulfillment, and then seeing those people fall. Well, down. I guess so. I yeah. guess watching people in like uh, Donald Sutherland's apartment because he's obviously very wealthy as well in this film. Mm. His apartment is ridiculous. <laughs> Having been to New York a couple of times now, like I've been in a few apartments here. Like they, they, this this room would be an apartment probably. Yeah. Um, and that would be a big one at that. Um, so. And they just look at that and go, that's like someone, it's like science fiction almost to me. Mm. It's so unrealistic. It's like, oh, what do I care about these people? They're not real. It's mm. so unreal. It's it's, it's fake. Um, so that's just a me thing. Um, you know, I find it a little bit dull and cliche, the setting. doesn't really mm. let it down. The other thing is that sometimes it's incredibly stylized. Like, you know, okay. uh, you know spoiler alert here. I don't think I'm giving away any major plot points. But at one point in the second episode, Nicole's had some revelations from the police about her husband, and she's wandering down aimlessly down the street. And again, it doesn't feel real because they're always very beautiful, cliched settings like mm. oh, it's Central Park, you know, and you know, strangely you know, not millions of people milling around, very empty. Yeah, um, and it also just feels, you know. Like I've been in New York. It doesn't feel real. Mm. This is no. It's not dirty. It's very clean. Very posh. Mm-hmm. Very polished. But then again, she sees it. Uh, goes past a, an electronic billboard, and she like she has this vision of uh, Elena, you know, a, a naked Elena, you know, being beaten to death. Mm. And I'm just like, that's so fake. Mm. It's like I mean, people. Don't, I don't know. Like, I don't feel like people have visions like that and they go ah oh! and scream in the street when they have this vision of of this woman being beaten to death that, you know, um, and like, it just, 
it felt fake and it felt unnecessary. I guess mm. in a way because it was inconsistent with what had been told up to date. It mm. just the story hadn't been doing much of that during. There'd been a few sort of flashbacky kind of things here and there, and sort of mm. you know in her pictures stuff in her mind's eye, but. I, I guess it's maybe for me. My objection is that I enjoy, and, and again, this is not a not a revelation to anybody who watches this, this is, watches mm. or listens to the show. It's, I enjoy a grittier, realer story, mm. uh, a, a story set in a real feels like it's set in a real world, and stuff like that really pulls me out of it because it doesn't feel real. Mm. It feels mm. like movie bullshit, mm-hmm. and, you know, stuff that doesn't happen in real life. Welcome to the Truman Show. <laughs> Really, <laughs> it just it just it just it didn't work for me. So there's a couple of little mm. bits and pieces like that occasionally where it just kind of, again, I, I would be, I wonder it to be a little bit more interesting if these pe- the world these people lived in felt a little more real. Mm, mm. Um, you know, I have a question for you. It's yeah. um, the series is directed by Suzanne Beer, whose name I was thinking, oh, I know that, and she directed um, the Night Manager. Which is also very good, right? Yeah, um, it's really good. Um, so, it, 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 it's, is she of like maintaining that that quality? I don't think it's quite on the same level for uh, that for me. Okay, um, I liked the Night Manager a whole lot, mm-hmm. and I feel like that was maybe because it was a more interesting story to me. I mean, okay. That's it fair. had sort of that James Bondy element to it, right? Yeah. You know? yeah. A bit of an international man of mystery, a bit of, you know, uh, subterfuge and spies and stuff like that going on. Mm. I guess I found that setting a little bit more interesting mm. than, like I said, a bunch of, you know, a bunch of rich people having a having a crisis in New York City. Okay. Um, that said, like I said, I'm two episodes in. It's by no means bad. I'm not, I feel like I'm understanding it. I'm actually quite keen to go mm. back and find out what happened. So I give okay. the story that much. It's gone, okay. Because like now we've got we've got a bit of an arc over the first two episodes. I'm like, you know, it can't possibly be this simple because I've got four episodes to go. Right? Mm, so mm. I is is going to be a couple other twists to come. I'm very curious to see what they are. But I and you know again, the night manager also had two wonderful performances at the center oh, yeah. from Hugh Laurie and Tom Hiddleston. So yeah. I oh, for for Tom and Nicole, I don't think I like them quite as much as I liked Hugh and Tom. I think. Tom in particular is really at the top of his game cinematically, right? Like, um, you know, he's a big yeah. star. Hugh yeah. never really made, took off in movies, but um, I, not quite on that level. I will say this. The last thing Suzanne directed was Bird Box. It's better than that. Okay. Yeah. That was very meddling. It was okay, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, but it's it's not quite the night manager, but I think if you've got Foxtel, you should check it out, right? I mean, yeah. Um, you know, you're paying for the bloody thing. You might as well use it. Yes. Madness. Madness. Now, you were also going to talk about a new game you're playing. I just wanted to quickly give a shout-out to mm. a, a game, uh, an indie game. It's like, you know, uh, there aren't any big games coming out this year, are there? There's not a game coming there's- out. Is there a game coming out this month? I'm not sure. It's I don't out. know. I think I think there's some some kind of steampunk thing. It'll probably be, it'll be a little one, right? It's indie, yeah, right? It's it'll, it'll be sort of like five hours, and you've done it three no, times. It'll be, kind it'll of be thing. which got getting any press or anything. Um, 
It's not like the company's stock price dropped when they delayed it. Um, no. <laughs> um, until we have, um, until we have um, that game, which shall not be mentioned, um, I picked up a game uh, on Steam called Ring of Pain. Ring of Pain, okay. Um, and look, honestly, I'm going to be honest, the, the main reason I picked up Ring of Pain is because I know somebody who worked on it. Okay. Um, a friend of mine, my friend Jesse, she doesn't listen to this podcast, so she will never know. But um, she, uh, we used to work together at the Evil Corporation a few years ago, and somehow she got a far more interesting job than me and works in game development now. Okay. Um, uh, so, Ring of Pain is a roguelike card crawler where encounters come to you. Each step around the ring, a dire decision: go for the loot or backstab a creepy horror. These strange friends bearing gifts and treasure. Choose your gear wisely to survive and discover the secrets of the Ring of Pain. Okay. This is a very simple game, uh, and I, I mean, I don't know that you're going to get, you know, Red Dead Redemption style hours out of it. But then again, mm-hmm. it doesn't cost Red Dead Redemption money. It's you know, mm-hmm. thirty bucks, twenty five, thirty bucks. Um, uh, and so, have you ever played a game called Reigns? On oh yes. Level, I think a little bit like that in the sense you've start the game. And you're presented with a series of cards. Those cards are displayed in the ring. Mm. And in this instance, you you are your character has stats, you know, attack, defense, speed, these sorts of things. And the characters on the cards facing you also have those stats. Okay. Um, and you can choose to attack those characters. Mm-hmm. And if you defeat them, you get souls back off them. And souls can be then used almost as a form of currency to then buy treasure mm-hmm. and upgrades, etc. Um Along around these ring of cards are also things like boosts for your stats, um, uh, equipment, and you know sort of one-time use cards. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you can you, you sort of go through and you make choices about whether or not you want to try and attack that enemy, or do you want to try and sneak past them and get to the the health potion to is behind them or okay. uh, things like that. And then that you at the end of each um, well in the ring of cards as well will be what do you want to call it? I don't know what the exact title is a portal card that will take you out of this and onto the next stage. And mm. the idea I think, cause I've, I haven't finished it yet myself because I am shit at games. Um, <laughs> is there, you very, you go through a certain number of stages and I guess the idea is to make it all the way around mm-hmm. the ring of pain. So it's like a mm-hmm. big range in the big ring. Um, so it did remind me a little bit of range, obviously in that card, you know, mm-hmm. uh, turning over card sort of style of gameplay. Um, okay. The art style is gorgeous. Like I don't yeah. I look at it and you go, nah, I'm not really sure, but it's kind of creepy. Some of the characters, especially some of the uh, animals and monsters you face are kind of creepy and disturbing. And I'm like, oh, it kind of haunts my dreams a little bit. I don't like it. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, the, the sound is really quite good. That's it. That character, the owl character. Um <laughs> Is kind of creepy and weird, uh, and I don't. And this, like I said the sound is really impressive, and just again knowing this has come from a very small dev team mm. here in Melbourne who's kind of worked on it very hard, it's it's really quite an impressive little game. Now, the one thing I will say on it is, I, I'm actually going to reach out to Jesse because I've just played it in the last couple of days and go, hey, I really hope they have a mobile version of this because this would be really fun to play on mobile. Uh, I think it's on Switch. It's on Switch as well. Yeah. Uh, it might be fun on a Switch. Again, if you're 
I don't travel anywhere anymore. So I don't, <laughs> my switch is in the cupboard and hasn't moved since I moved in here because I don't leave the house uh, much, at least on a public transport, and you can't play a switch while you're driving, which is kind of a ripoff. Um, you can if you buy a Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> not too. You shouldn't because you're probably not supposed to drive. But yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, look, it would be it would work. I think it. Would, I mean, and I feel like maybe if they if the devs heard me, they might take great offense at that because mm. it's kind of an insult to go, "Hey, Mrs. Work is a mobile game." Um, but, but it's 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 sort of because the actual rounds don't take long if you're shit out of it like I am. Mm. Uh, so you're in and out and like. Five ten minutes to play. I feel like it, it's a kind of game you would really play in five ten minute bursts. Oh yeah. I don't know if it's the kind of game. Maybe I'm wrong, and some people really enjoy it and play it for hours. And I don't see myself sitting down and playing it and four hours disappearing the way it would with Banished mm. or uh, Seven Days to Die has recently. Kind of like mm. oh, it got dark. Um, <laughs> so, so, and I kind of feel like those sort of games where you have those five, ten minute bursts of, of you know, completely engrossed in the game work really well on something like a mobile mm. or, or you know, switch. I mean, maybe they might need to tone it down. Maybe phones can't run it. I don't know. Mm. Um, but um, I, I hope it does get a, a release on mobile at some point in time because it was a lot of fun. Cool. It has overwhelmingly positive reviews on 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 uh, Steam. Um, so if you think I'm just here pumping up its tires because I know someone who made it, mm-hmm. it pro- it's possible you're correct, but it seems that I am in a majority on this one. Yeah. Why not? Why not um, pump local? local? Exactly. Yeah, there's not a lot of game devs here in Melbourne anymore. A lot of them shut up shop. It's not an easy thing to do. So yeah. the, the, the guys who made the Goose game, they did real well. Yeah. Um, I don't know if this game's quite on that level, but, you know, fingers crossed that they, um, they get a chance to keep going. I'm looking forward to um, uh, speaking of um, Australian-made games. Uh, I'm I played a game on Switch, uh, Golf Story, uh, a while back, and they are making a semi-sequel, Sports Story, and hopefully that will be releasing very soon because I've been waiting for it for like a year at this point. More news, please, on Sports Story. I, I've been waiting for like eight, nine years for the guy who made Banish to make another game, and <laughs> he, he always said he was going to do it, but it's. Uh... I'm getting around to it. Oh. Yeah, uh, well, for, you know, what's the um, what's the one that uh, the guys at Valve were going to make? Um, Halo, uh, Half Life Three. Half Life Three. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> maybe that'll come first. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the the list of if only they would actually get around and finish it. It's there, there's a number of video games on there as well as Patrick Rothfuss' next book in the the. Um, in his uh, Chronicle series, um, I'm sure many people would want the final book of the Game of Thrones series. Kill Bill 3. Kill Bill 3, the Vega Brothers, Star Trek, Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> you know, uh, the George Lucas sequel trilogy, you know. Yeah, the Lucas cut of all the Star Wars movies. Yeah, well, <laughs> maybe, you know, like we're getting, we make it happen, right? We're getting the Snyder cut now. Uh, a, four, a fourth Indiana Jones movie. But, well, that'll never happen. Yeah, that's true. Or, or, or a reimagining of Ghostbusters. That would be a that would be a poor commercial decision, and I would encourage any studio against doing that. Mm-hmm. The one that I am genuinely scared of, though, is um, Big Trouble in Little China's remake, or Encino Man Two, <laughs> or, or you know that it's going to happen one day, remake of Back to the Future. Oh uh, well, that's going to have to wait for Bob Gale to die. 
Yes, which I'm so thankful for. I mean, I, I don't want to wish death on anybody, but like the guy has basically said, not while I'm alive. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm sure one day we'll try and find a way around that once he's passed away. He's, it's a little bit like where my parents live. There was um, when we moved to this part of Geelong, there was a little farmhouse and a giant block of land around it. And over the last 25 years, that's become that, that, back when I, we moved there in the 90s, that was basically all open land. Now, this little block of land is a little bit like an up. Right, the house is surrounded by, you know, it's now surrounded by other by housing estates because it's such a popular place to live in Geelong now. Um, but um, the old lady, not let it go of it. This old lady who lived in there just wouldn't sell no matter what. She wouldn't sell no matter what. And you're like, you know, it's just a matter of time. I reckon within about a week of like her passing away, uh, the 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 sign was at the front saying, "Maybe an estate coming." Um, yep. <laughs> so I kind of, I mean, like the kids, the kids, um, her, her kids, I don't know them, but they were like sitting there, like rubbing their hands together in a way, in a ghoulish kind of way, waiting for their mother to go so that they could make all the monies from selling this land. Yeah. And I'm I, giving it to the cat. <laughs> the cat, the cat would have probably been had sunglasses on and driving a Ferrari the day afterwards. Like, um, that can, it's that can, me Melvin. And hate it. <coughs> I think I think Bob Gale's kids that someone's gonna di- drive a dump truck full of money up to their house when mm-hmm. they got when he's gone going, please. Yeah. Well, you know, slowly but surely the stars are aligning. You know, Michael J. Fox is retired, uh, officially retired from acting. Um Christopher um Christopher Lloyd is not doing anywhere near as much acting as he should. Um Robert Zemeckis is just making worse and worse movies, and so he's probably gonna go, you know what, let's revisit the good old days. And I, I would say this though, I saw a wonderful deep, this is such a thing, a very good deep fake a year or so ago mm-hmm. uh, of Back to the Future where they had deep, I don't know what you call it, they had basically photoshopped Tom Holland into Michael J. Fox's role and Robert Downey Jr. into the Christopher Lloyd's role as Doc. It fucking worked. Yeah, but come on, every fucking movie from the 80s with someone on the cusp of adulthood that just so happens to be a guy or could be gender bended to a guy or gender bended from a guy is Tom Holland. <laughs> they, they just I, want him in fucking everything. He's a good, he's a good young actor. I'm just saying he's it a like good, a good actor, but it's a, like, it, just, yeah, it, it looked water's right. also wet. <laughs> it, it, it looked right in the deep fake. So it was clever, you know? <sighs> I am. Um, have you got anything else to say this week or should we give our fans a, our millions and millions of fans a break for the night. Yeah. Um, no, let's let's go because I want to go to bed. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is the, the main the main sort of motivation for us is either to go to the toilet or to go to sleep. That's how we we why we finish this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if there were three of us, we'd never finish because he could keep talking. And one of us could go to bed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, thank you for listening, uh, dear listeners. We will be back next week to talk mm-hmm. um, about our chain movie uh, of the week, Twelve Years a Slave, mm-hmm. plus whatever else we stumble across. Yes. And um, last week's episode will go up on podcast services probably tomorrow because I have been working myself ragged and I've just not had time to get it up there. So if you want it there, it'll be there in the next 48 hours. So deal with it. Hooray! You can always rewatch it on Twitch or YouTube. So go there and subscribe and all of that stuff. All the good stuff. (laughs) I'm going to go lie down. Thank you for listening, uh, dear listeners, and we will be back again next week. Good night. night.